program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness Podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my friend, Lark Galley. Now, I have to warn you all, you are going to laugh and you're going to cry in this episode because Lark and I how I remember it, and I I am blessed that it's like, I meet people and we're just like, we're friends. And and it's like, we didn't, I it's hard to remember a time we weren't friends, but I know it's just been the last few years, but we were just instantly friends. And I believe it was because we were both the loudest and most obnoxious people in the room. <laughs> you were mostly the loudest in the room. <laughs> Okay. Okay. And I'm taller. So it's just, it just projects more, you know, it just, yeah, it's not that I'm so loud. No, I'm loud. I'm loud. (laughs) But I remember just you and I just being like, yeah, we're like the same kind of people. Right. Right. Well, I do, I do remember telling you that you and your family needed to come with my family on a family trip, which (laughs) we did. But my reasoning behind it was so that my family would look normal. So there you go. And so my family, we went up and we went in your guys's boat, which what's your little acronym for boat again? Oh, that was the, like the money pit. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, exactly. You had some acronym that I've been trying to remember, like boat that you throw a hole in the water, you throw money through or something like that. But um, anyway, on this, this fun camping trip where we're out there and I, again, proved to myself that I cannot water ski. Um you know, that I can get a very internal cleanse, but I cannot water ski. <laughs> and I flew off the thing because your husband is so funny. Um, on, and on I, got, and I got whiplash. And that was also the trip that I decided after having been having whiplash in car accidents twice and then re-injuring myself on there that I might be too old to be bounced or maybe just too injured to be thrown behind a, a boat on a bouncy thing that's going to land me on a hard thing, you know, which water exactly. is very hard exactly when you're going at it with your head neck first. Anyway, but the other funny thing on this trip was we played apples to apples. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something about love or something warm and fuzzy. And you're supposed to pick out the things that were the warm and fuzzy. And your son, Christian, was the person that we're all trying to, um, you know, like which one you pick for love or romance or something like that. And so my family, not knowing Christian as we did, were like, you know, candlelight dinners and, you know, walks on the beach kind of cards. And your family put out whips and chains and <laughs> duct tape and things like that. And we're like, oh, oh, this. OK. And of course, in Apples to Apples, you're supposed to play to the, the person whose turn it is to pick. And so we all lost terribly because you guys all knew Christian's <laughs> wicked sense of humor. So Aww. then we went around and my my kids and Christian had this duct taping thing. We're like throwing duct tape in each other's yurts. And, and every time we have duct tape, we're like, Christian. <laughs> and it's just so we think we're endlessly hilarious. And, you know, but this is why you invited us because your family would not be the only weird family. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cause who else has, you know, their, their teenagers making jokes about duct tape. Exactly. And, <laughs> and taping each other's family into the yurt, you know, yes. taping up the entrance with the, the duct tape. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you want to, if you're going to do a job, do it well, you there know, you That's yeah, and you got to reinforce the duct tape to like make it harder for them to get out, <laughs> you know, good, good memories. And, um, you have had, um, I just, I just, 
feel so honored, my friend, to get to have seen, we're already crying, like Lark's already got the tears. And it's <laughs> um, because I've gotten to see you be a woman on purpose and on a mission. You're, you were you were a type A, like my dear sweet husband. And I love type A's because there's just no drama. You know, you know where they stand. They'll tell you. And, um, but also of getting to see you be not just be on purpose, but lit on fire with a with purpose, a, with a mission, right? with a mission. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a much higher thing. You know, you've never been like sitting around going, Hmm, what am I going to do? So how do we segue into that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do there it. You go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So do you want to take the floor or do you want me to keep talking? Cause this is uh, your, this no, is your you, thing. You go ahead. I mean, I think you've seen the transition in me from, from where I was before. I, I'm a businesswoman. I've been in corporate America for a long time. I've had several of my own businesses. Like you said, a type personality, always something to do. And yet now the purpose behind what I'm doing is a completely new level. Yeah. Um, so it was, was the 18th of, um, what day was it? So it was the 21st of March, 2019. Yeah. Yeah. We just had it three years, um, just over three years. Yes. The anniversary of your son, Christian, who I just told that delightful story about. And people always hesitate to share stories of people that have passed because, you know, you're like afraid that'll make people sad. But yet, if people could have seen your eyes, you were laughing right there with it. You were like, oh, you brought it up. Um, and, you know, it makes it, I know that because I love it when people tell me stories about my Caitlin. Um, but I didn't get Caitlin for 19 years. And you got your son Christian for 19 years. And sadly, um, as, we, as we put it, you know, they lost their battle. And... Um, you guys had done all the things, all the things to protect him, to work on his mental health. He was handsome. Um, that sounds pedophilic coming from a 48 year old. <laughs> but you know what? It, yeah. it wasn't, you didn't look at him and say, oh, he, he's a potential victim for suicide. Right. He you know, it was yet a lot incredibly intelligent and having vacationed with him, a complete delight, joyful everything you would want in a son to be as, you know, this thriving young man, intelligent. And, um, I know you, um, you shared in your book, which is, um, no big deal, but Richard Paul Evans has approved it as an amazing book and somebody else, not quite as famous, but a big deal, uh, Lita Green on the, the back cover of the book. Um, you, uh, where you've had this terrible thing happen. And I remember saying to you after your son died, because I had a friend again, I am not a type a, everyone thinks I am, but I'm not. Um, I was who took me out to lunch every week and let me complain about all the stupid things people said to me. And I was like, okay, if people had stupid things to say about the death of a baby, um, there's going to be a lot of stupid things being said about losing a kid by suicide. And I said, so let's go to lunch every week. And we can just talk about your feelings. And you were like, you say it. I started laughing. I'm like, oh, no, Lita, I don't have time to talk <laughs> about my feelings. I have things to do. You know, basically, God has given me a mission and I don't have this. I don't have time for the touchy feely stuff. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and what a great person to give that mission to. And let's be clear. Lark has done the work. She has worked through and still will have. There's no getting over these kinds of things. But you don't not do feelings. You just know how to use those as a fire. Right. You know, and, and I'll give you an example. You know, Christian's three-year death anniversary came up um, just within a week ago. And I didn't know how it was going to be for that day because obviously other, th those, those time periods come up and they bring up a lot of feelings and emotions. Yeah. And I actually had a good day because I remembered him, I, I honored him, I thought about him, and, and I had a good day. Now, having said that, you know, the month prior, there was a time when I didn't have a good day. And next month, there might be other days that aren't necessarily good days. But I take what comes and I, and I, and I just 
honor um, the relationship with I have with my son, because I will tell you this, just because he has passed on, I, I actually feel like my relationship with him now is better than it was before he died because of, of the emotional things and of the connection, the things that I have tried to do to, to honor him. Yeah. And I, I totally, I'm so glad that I got to, I feel like that vacation was more of a gift for us. And anytime someone has been lost to, to suicide, my kids are always like, oh, and Christian. You know, and Christian's um, obituary, you know, from the funeral still is in an honored place in our home with other people that we love that we that have been lost. And my daughter just went through losing a friend to to suicide. And, you know, Christian was really um, the first real friend that they had that they lost in that way. And, you know, as a mom, I can't thank you enough for how you've handled that. And um, your book, um, I made jokes about how I previewed it, but I was pretty sure that your book was going to be this cold, hard analytics of the facts and that I was going to read this and it was going to be really tough, you know, to get through. And then you're my friend and you like the facts and you like accountability. So I was going to be like, you know, you might want to put some feelings in here, you know, I will tell you prior to Christian's death, I didn't do feelings, (laughs) but that's because I knew that. But then I read your book and it is a must read. Now, people always say that about books, especially their own books. This is me saying about my friend's book. It's a must read. And I recommend it often. Um, You know, I'll pull up the Amazon link and be like, go, I'll tag you. I'll be like, look up my friend Lark, you know, go Lark, L-A-R-K. There's not too many of those, you know, under 80 is my guess. But anyway, I'm always recommending it because you do have the facts. You do have this progression, this pattern that you share of how suicide has impacted your family. And let's not do a spoiler because they have to go get the book, right? Um, But you also go through the feelings and lay open in in such a vulnerable fashion that I, there were times that I was like, turned to Nathan and my husband and I'd be like, you need to read this, look at this. And he'd be like, wow. And we would just kind of sit with it and it leaves you hopeful. It's, it's an excellent book and a handbook, but with feelings. Relationship handbook, you know? Yeah. Um, how I parented before and now I parent now, uh, looking at relationships and, and just how my, my childhood history affected me and going forward, what just the things that I have learned. And I remember you, when you were reviewing the book for me to, to write the, you know, the little testimonial about it, you, you came back to me and you said, Lark, okay, I know you and I expected it to be good, but I didn't expect it to be this good. <laughs> and, and that's when I told you, I said, Lita, I, I had help both from God and from my son in writing this book, because yeah. there are times when I'd go back to review it or edit it. And I would think, wow, that part is really good. I don't, I don't think I wrote that part, you know, <laughs> even though I wrote it, but I think I had divine help. There were a lot of places where I, I really felt God's spirit moving me because uh, that book is raw. You know, you talk about all my vulnerabilities. I'm not trying to justify myself in any way. I'm just trying to say, hey, I was human. I made a lot of mistakes. Here's what I wish I had done differently. And by the grace of God, hopefully I can do differently. Yeah. And it's so interesting because there's so many, I, I love what you just said about how I didn't try to defend myself, right? That you're just like, here you go. And, you know, when people, we tend to romanticize the dead and romanticize our role in all of it. Um, we, you know, this is often seen with babies that die, you know, if they had, they lived, they obviously would have been Nobel prize winners, Olympians, all of it. You know, I mean, I really do think Christian was on his way to invent the next thing. I mean, he really was a brilliant kid. So this is not just me. Um, but I've noticed that with babies and we have a mutual friend that will, will remain nameless for the, for this sake of this, because it sounds poopy what I'm going to say. But we, when we were at Christian's funeral, she also had a baby that died 
And she squeezed my hand during the funeral and she said, we know how she feels. And I was like, no, we don't. Because we lost something that was very uncomplicated. There were minimal memories, minimal things. And frankly, no mistakes, right? Like I did not have to deal with um, Caitlin crying and feeling like I was losing my patience and having a thought of just let me sleep. You know, I mean, I was literally a perfect parent, (laughs) you know, I can just, right. It's, and it's a, it's a very different thing when you lose something that has unmet, unrealized, I don't even know what her talents were other than being bossy, because I know that since she's passed, she's incredibly bossy. And I think there's something really powerful in realizing that we don't know other people's experience, but when we lose a child by, I think, arguably their own hand, it's a very different thing. And every room you walk in, you have had to unpack how that room feels, how those memories feel. And, you know, every time I drive by those yurts, you know, Think about that, yeah. Uh, two things that you mentioned there. Um, one is about losing a child. However, you know you lose them is the expectation. You don't just lose the child. You 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 lose the future that you would have had with them, and and that's like a second heartbreak, right? Mm-hmm. So w- at whatever age they are, like you said, you kind of you know imagine the progression of their lives and how it will be. So so that's hard. Um, when someone dies by suicide, you always have those questions of why and what could I have done? And the unanswered, that's hard too. Um, the third thing I've learned is about grief. And I'll give you an example. My husband and me, we have different stories around grief with our son. He's our son. And yet we both have different situations depending upon the, the closeness of the relationship, the experiences that we had with, with the person and then how we maybe deal with it and progress. I am an active speaker on suicide prevention. It's, it's what fuels my fire. My husband hasn't read my book. He can't talk about Christian really to anybody. Uh, he, he enjoys hearing memories from people who, who knew Christian, but for him to just stand up and talk about Christian, it doesn't happen. And, and so uh, we have to allow each other wherever we are in our grief cycle. I can't push my husband, hey, be like me. You know, you'll heal if you stand up and talk about it. And conversely, he can't say, stop talking about it because you're, you're causing me a problem. And so that's something to remember is that everybody, regardless of, of where you are in the relationship, you have different levels of grief and it's important to respect that. I love this because how are we to, you know, tell others to grieve? Um, when my daughter died, there was this lady who basically, long story short, pulled me aside and said, um, demand that people pray for you, you know, and you have that strength. And I just thought, okay, I don't want to live my life with the expectation other people have to treat me with kid gloves, even though I was sitting in a wheelchair at the time and did need to be treated with kid gloves. Um, there's a side where when we're in our grief, that it's everywhere and it's always there. But as we start to come out of it for, it's always there, but for your husband, he may never be at the place where he talks about it because different people, like you say, have their cycle, but um, we're not there to tell our people how to do that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, When, so my husband, 35 years in the military, a hardened <laughs> army colonel. You can only imagine, right? I mean, it was <laughs> drone parenting all the way. I saw him cry twice in our in our marriage up until Christian's death. And wow. one of those was at his mom's funeral. So, you know, we don't do emotions over at the galley household. Wow, wow. He cried for three days when Christian passed. I, on the other hand, I couldn't cry for a week. I was so angry with Christian. I was just so angry. I, I mean, here I'm the mom. And I can't shed a tear. And it, I, I was, we also had a very difficult relationship. You know, every day he argued with me and well, I and just he was, up. Was, he was yes. very intelligent. And he, there's yes, so many funny stories up. of being like, don't 
let him near explosives and yes. you know <laughs> he will he will blow things up and yeah you know <laughs> you know so that relationship and it it was a week after he passed that I saw a picture of him as a child mm. and I broke down and that's it took me a week until I could finally break down and it wasn't the picture of a young man it was the picture of my my little boy that just melted me yeah well the the mind and the soul and how all that interplays and i i feel like we just need to normalize this conversation because people always think it won't be their kid that's what i thought you know and um because of christian and knowing what awesome parents you are and knowing how much you love him seeing that you know there's nothing like seeing your kid do something that's, you know, a little weird, you know, picking the, the whips and chains as the, the romance or whatever it was, the apple, apples, apple thing. Um, to, to see the look of how the parents just accept and love. And I saw that in you guys and to know. And so I have sat my kids down who fortunately they're, their mental health struggles have been, have been different. Everybody has mental health struggles, first of all. Um, ne- they've never expressed that to me, but I also feel you know, like a suicide idolization thing. But I also think it's because of Christian. That it was, he's just that much older than my kids. That I was able to sit down with them when that happened and have that conversation and sit down with them again and have that conversation to now my daughter, whenever a suicide comes up, I will turn to her and we'll talk about her feelings or, you know, something in the community or, you know, on TV and she'll go, I know mom, I know I'm so precious to you. I know mom, (laughs) like she's, she's a little type A. So she's a little annoyed at all of my, let's talk about our feelings. And I know that was a lot because of Christian. See, I know you've made an impact in, in our home but I would love for you to share um, Christian's rippling impact um, right around his funeral. I'm like asking leading questions with you because I can. <laughs> okay. So, so what's so interesting is that, you know, sometimes we don't feel that we have um, any good influence on other people or that we've done anything to change the world. And Christian had probably 300 people at his funeral. At least. At least. Yeah. And I'm going to say at least half of them, were, were young adults, were teenagers, people that he had impacted. And at the viewing, we had we had some friends from his high school. We had uh, his teachers and principal from high school. We had um, friends from college. So he was a freshman at the University of Utah in the engineering program. And we had three of his friends from the engineering department come up. And so they're, they're 19, 20 year old kids, right? And there was a young man and he, he couldn't even talk. He was crying so hard. And this young woman was next to him and she said, this is so-and-so, he's from Illinois. He moved out here at the beginning of the school year, which would have been in August. And now it was March, the the following school, you know, the the school year towards the end of the school year. She said, Christian helped him. And he finally was able to say, Christian was my first friend. He said hello to me and he took me under his wing. He was my first friend here. And what and a fun first friend to have. Christian sure. To everybody and look at how this chemical with this thing will make this smoke. <laughs> you know, and then we also found out from his friends that the reason he had been staying so late so often at school was he was in the study lab and he was helping the other kids with their studies. So he, he struggled as well and he had to have help as well, but he tried to help his fellow students mm-hmm. as best he could. And we would never have known that if his, his friends from the student lab hadn't come and told us that. And other friends, he loved this game called Magic. It's a card game. Just a few months earlier, he had won, you know, some state tournament. He had gone to Denver and, and he was so excited about magic. And the people from the card game store where he would go every, you know, cup twice a week, that was his big thing. They came to his funeral and they said, Christian is the only non-employee that we will let behind the counter to help <laughs> us out occasionally. He's the only one we trust. And he was so charming. This yeah. is like, 
it doesn't it doesn't even again he was all these amazing things and um you know you just he struggled you know and yeah he struggled and And we we need to normalize this so that we are making people aware that um you know whatever the demons you fight you have to be aware of these and you have to converse and deal with and you can't just stuff these things aside and you know what it's males have a higher percentage of of going through with suicide not to say that females don't attempt as much as males you're but saying males, going for me being successful well in, yeah we don't like to say successful in that community because oh, yeah, you know, yeah. you're right like, you're right that's like, that's the terminology around it but you're right that's yep. really so yep. please teach me what is okay. the wording so so just that they um fall through with suicide to completion something like that okay males tend to do it in a more violent way a more um non-reversible way and with my son it was with a gun not you know and someone said okay so you're going to be anti-gun and i'm like you got to know my son i mean he could have found a million ways he would have found baking soda (laughs) and turned it into an explosive device so yes 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 yeah and so so um just be aware that it's both females and males that struggle, but males by far more than 50% um, complete suicide because of the non-reversible way they often choose to now, go I've heard it. I've heard this before and I feel like it's wrong. So tell me if this is a myth, but you know, they say that when a girl tries to commit suicide, that she is, it's because she chooses like pills and then she makes a call that it's really a cry for help. And so girls are not as serious about it. And I'm like, whoa, I feel like that's, I don't know, just that my, like, is it kind of sex? It feels sexist to me, but they're like, let's just start good at it. You know, I mean, (laughs) yeah, you know, it's because they often don't choose the, the, the gun or the hanging, right. They might choose pills or cutting and there's a, a chance that they might be found. And so that's often why. But any attempt is a call for help, any right. attempt. And um, people and say, I well, how like- do you know when it's when it's serious? I'm like, trust me, it's always serious. Just take it as serious. Right. I I have also heard people, so I'm, I'm throwing out the, the myths, okay, that I'm aware of so you can debunk them. And then you can throw out some myths that you have learned to debunk um, that people will be like, oh, if you talk too much about the person that died, that, you know, it's going to increase the chances of somebody else doing it. Okay. So if you idolize that, because that's, that's a lot of times what people would say about youth, you know, in, in schools, because you see copycat suicides. I think in Harriman High School in 2017, 2018 school year, there were seven suicides. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, that was my kid's school. Yeah. yeah. You know what? And, and I think we need to talk about it. A lot of times what happens is, is suddenly it becomes an option. And I want to take that option off the table and say, let's find another solution to, to whatever it is you're going through. And as a parent, I'm going to walk beside you until we find that solution, no matter how long it takes. And, and that's why, you know, it's, it's kind of like the whole sex thing. If we talk about sex and our kids are going to go have sex, well, um, not necessarily, <laughs> you know, yeah. but let's just talk about it because here's, well, the- I think it's the, the concept of how we're dealing with the shame of it, yes. but let's yes. talk about sex, which is slightly less taboo, I guess, you know, like in, you know, religious communities that we don't believe in having sex till a certain point in a relationship or till marriage if you're like, oh, it's dirty and it's gross and you won't like it, then you're kissing in the car and you're like, man, this is fantastic. Mom and dad must have been doing it wrong, right? And then, you know, the little girl that didn't know that boys knew we had periods is now pregnant, right? Right. Because there wasn't conversation and there was shame where if it's like, I tell my kids, it is so freaking fantastic. It is amazing. I'll tell you, it's also the biggest door to heartbreak. So what do you think would set up to not have as much heartbreak in having sex? And then I, you know, am obviously, you know, guiding them towards my belief system, but I'm letting them think the social, emotional, psychological ramifications. So we've completely removed, removed it. And even more so if you are religious and your kid has sex, well, that's what the atonement of Jesus Christ is all about. <laughs> like, this is something we use, you know, like, 
shaming the, the process of we fall and we get back up. The problem is with a suicide attempt or completion. See how I learned new words. Um, it's, it feels so permanent. Right, right. It does. And, and that's the hard part, you know, and, and taking the shame away, taking the shame away about talking about mental health or are you struggling? And if you are, let's get help. Um, I just remember when my son died, um, I looked at it and, and the, my first reaction was shame, embarrassment, you know, oh, what will the neighbors think? I mean, seriously, who cared what the neighbors thought? But, you know, that's where we often go in our society. And uh, I wanted to, to go into a hole. I felt this dark abyss coming over me. And I had two friends who were mothers of, of teenagers who knew my son and they both reached out. They expressed their concern for me, for my son. And then they expressed their concern for their children who had either attempted or had been considering attempting. And it was those conversations that pulled me out of that abyss and allowed me to see my way forward because I thought I cannot change the past. As much as I would like to think that Christian's walking back in that door, there is nothing I can do that can change the past. I cannot change whether or not these kids choose to end their lives. I can't, I can't affect that. But what can I affect? I can affect me. That is the only thing I have control over. And I really felt strongly that if I didn't speak out and they chose to end their lives, then it would have been on me. But by speaking out, and I specifically went to each of those kids, and had a conversation and I let them know how devastated we were as parents over what had happened. And they both promised me, we will not do this. Oh. And, and just think, one more layer for those kids to think about people that won't be okay with. Um, so I remembered um, that I had taken a picture of the apple apples to game and sent it to you. And um, it was, well, what date did he die again? What year? Uh, it was 2019. 2019. And so this was in October that I sent you a picture of us laughing about Christian. So see, see proof right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, um, uh, just, you know, and these, you know, laughing through all these memories and, and then you actually told me when you had said that it prompted me to remember that I had called you or texted you or something. And I think I was asking about a speech you'd had and you're like, by the way, <laughs> um, you know, this happened. Are you talking about Christian or what coming? No, or you, you told me by text what had happened. Oh, about Christian. Okay. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. You know, and um, that you had, and you know, I, I, I've always kind of awed at that because you um, were so in control, but at the same time, other people wouldn't have been able to, to do that. And that's okay. You know, but you informed me by, you're like, okay, here's what's happened, you know, and you know, you didn't need to go to lunch with me every day, but yet I, I mean, every, every day, every week, but yet, you know, my, my friend, I'm pretty sure will receive the, the highest accolades that God can give her for, for doing that for me, because a lot That's of what people, you needed at the time, right? A lot of people said stupid stuff and I have seen people say stupid things around you. And it's interesting because I think old Lark would have turned to them and been like, that's poopy stupid, you know, like maybe even thrown out a word other than poopy, not, not a bad word, just a clear word. Like what the hell's wrong with you kind of word. Right. Um, and I've seen you since turn to them with such, um, measured compassion, I think would be the best way to describe it. Realizing well, I'd have to they say might have someone in their life. And I'm just really, kind of like, wow, self-control here. <laughs> you know what? Because I look at my journey through through the grief and where I was before and, and kind of how I progressed and, and learned to understand that we don't control other people. We don't control anything. I, I used to be a big control freak and I laugh at myself now because I'm like, 
we don't control anything. So, so many people around me, they, they talk about, you know, oh, I'm frustrated about this, or what if this doesn't happen? And I just look at them and I'm like, what does it matter? Because you don't control anything. Right. We think we control and we control nothing. And so I just, I just give myself grace. I give other people grace and I just allow them to be wherever they are. And, and I think that's why I'm at such a great equilibrium with my emotions, because I just know that God's got this. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes in our uh, religious upbringing, we have been taught that suicide means that our child or whoever it is, is damned. And I can tell yeah, you debunk from, that one. Debunk <laughs> that one. Yeah. I can tell you from personal experience, Christian coming to me, telling me, and in his Christian way of being very upset with me. I mean, I was depressed uh, shortly after the book came out. You know, I I was thinking about my son and and wishing, okay, so I know I'm going to see him again at some point, but but he's kind of you know made choices that are only going to put him in a certain place after this life. And he very clearly came to me, voiced in my head, very exasperated, as only Christian can with me. And he said, Mom, this did not stop my eternal progression. Mm. And it woke me up because, you know, in a lot of our religious upbringing, we are never taught that. You know, it's and I knew because um, there I've, I've looked into this about because when you're looking at what does death mean? there's different forms of death and how it's discussed in a theological sense. And I have not been able to find anything in our particular theology. And I've looked in, you know, not just the church Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints theology, but basic Christian things, um, you know, the Bible, anything like that, that says that you are damned, you know, it is God's something that we worried. picked up through the years and it's, yeah. it's a false teaching. Well, I am a big believer and I know you agree with me because I'm talking to one of my dearest friends here that, you know, Satan will, you know, he who is poopy, as I put it, will, you know, slide in those lies and, and shroud them in truth, you know, to get them through, you know, so, you know, you put chocolate on anything, I'll eat it, you know, <laughs> I've well, eaten chocolate covered bugs and I'm like, hmm, crispy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and here's another thing you brought up, you know, with Satan's lies and what he's doing um, to, to us in our world and specifically to our children. Um, he's using suicide as a way, you know, slipping in that they're not good enough, that they'll never measure up and they're, and he's, he's helping them turn towards suicide. And that became very clear to me within just a few weeks of Christians dying. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm saying, wake up parents, wake up and see what's going on start having conversations. I'll give you an example. Um, your kids come home from school. What do we say? How was your day? What does every kid on the planet say to that? What does every person on the planet say to that? Fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how, how are you? <laughs> your grandmother just died. Fine. <laughs> you know? So let's try this. What was the best thing that happened to you today? What was the lowest thing or the worst thing that happened to you today? And, and talk them through and help them, you know, navigate the ups and downs of emotions so that they, they have a barometer for emotions mm -hmm. and talk to them through it and say, mm -hmm. okay, so they're dealing with something hard. Give them some perspective because especially when they're young, their brains aren't developed. It's black and white. They only know, you know, it's good What's today. What's happening or, in the moment yeah. is going to be forever. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And the truth is when we've had a brain that has been stunted by trauma, um, you can have a 30 year old that that's, that's developmentally in that emotional state where teenagers are, you know, uh, that it's, so it's not just a, a teenagers, but a hundred percent with teenagers, right. <laughs> you know, that's the hard thing too. You know, people say, well, what are the signs for suicide? Because honestly, they look a lot like teenage hormones. If you want to know the truth, <laughs> right. You know, they're, yeah. they're unstable. They're up and down. They're moody, you know, and it's, I've, I've looked into this too, because when I was a kid, I remember ceasing to want to live and thinking through different ways that I could go about that, but being so insecure, we didn't, I didn't have all these words that I did not feel worthy of the mess it would create. I just wanted to evaporate and later finding out that that was suicide idolizations and Fortunately, um, you know, I was in, I was in therapy for 
being, you know, pick a reason, <laughs> you know, but, you know, as a young adult, you know, my early twenties and just having this moment of being like, wow, you know, they're, you know, by the grace of God, go I, like, why did I not, you know? And so it, but it's given me a lot of empathy because that is not something that I struggle with anymore. Um, but there were years there that, um, you know, I just, if somebody had talked to me, if there had been more outreach that I could have had, um, a much happier childhood, and, you and know, that's the difference, no matter how old you are, you know, there, there's, there's the difference between thinking today's hard. I wish I could just cease to exist. You know, I wish I'd never been born. We all experience that. What, what is not normal is to think about ways to ending your life. And you think of them over and over and over and becomes a pattern and becomes that ideation. That is not normal. And um, so well, in, I in think ourselves or others, it, we need to get help. Right. You know, and that's my point is if you're having those thoughts, don't be afraid of those thoughts. Be afraid enough to go to find therapy, to talk to people, to outreach, um, but, you know, because I felt so worthless, I did not protect me and, you know, that, you know, led to a lot of problems. And so I've always kind of had that empathy point with people of realizing it could have been me and then being able to go forward and have, you know, a pretty freaking awesome life, right, you know, right. Just despite everything that happened, you know, and right. And that's the resiliency of the human spirit. And the fragility of the human spirit, all in one story repeated a million billion times. And um, the shoulda, coulda, wouldas happen anytime someone dies. Oh, did I visit grandpa before? You know, all of that. But when someone dies by suicide, it's not like you said, it's not our responsibility, but yet it is our responsibility. So let's, let's kind of look at that for a minute. You know what I mean? I I look at like um, other people, I in my neighborhood, um, youth, especially in my neighborhood, what would it mean if an adult acknowledged a, a, a young person in the neighborhood or, you know, just passing by or took a notice of your, your friend's kids, you, you knew about them, you said hello, you asked what they were doing. What, what a difference that would make in my life, probably in your life, if, if a caring adult took notice and, and cared. Um, same with your kids, you know, um, my father right, and that just uh, <laughs> I'm like he just answered like this major question for me like why did that stop why did those idolizations stop because you know I'm at a place where I wasn't and I and when you said that I can tell you two names it took an interest right that took an interest in me and we won't go into my story but it just like boom so I'm going to invite the audience listening you know let's just imagine every single one of us has been there and who are the people that interceded and how can you be that person that intercedes and it may not be enough because we don't have control over the people but wouldn't it be amazing like with christian i know i was kind to him and i wasn't his next door neighbor i didn't get to see him that often but i know he knows i loved him you know, um, and an wouldn't example. that be great if everyone in our life knew yeah. that we loved them? So I recently moved to a, a new neighborhood. I'm in a, a condominium. So we have lots of close neighbors. Right. And I found out that and you make uh, it sound like, OK, it's kind of posh, but OK. <laughs> We're all close to each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it has like a swimming pool and a yeah. gym and, you know, a word work. I mean. A woodworking space you can just go and use. I was ready to move there. <laughs> I could go and build things. I don't know what I need, but I could build things. <laughs> anyway. One of my neighbors, um, she has uh, two kids. Uh, she's divorced. Her husband was abusive to her and also mm-hmm. abusive to their children. Where when her son, who's now 14, was eight years old, his father started to sexually abuse him. Ugh. And you can only imagine what that has done to his 
self-worth, his psyche, etc. So while this I is can not, only imagine. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So so while it's not common knowledge, you know, everybody doesn't label him like that. I, I've been in a situation where I, I kind of knew and, and his mom has talked to me. We've had some very candid conversations. Um, I gave her my book and and I recommended that her son read it as well, which he did. And then he and I were able to have just a short conversation about it. You know, we just pulled aside and I said, you know what? He said, thank you so much for your story. And I said, I want you to understand that sometimes we go through hard things, but we, we have a choice in how we choose to allow that hard thing to affect us in our future. We can either be weighed down in shame or we can say, this is not the end of my story and we can use it to come to talk about things. And I said, the more I talk about it, the less I hide and the stronger I am. Mm. And we didn't talk about his particular situation. Right. But that you just put something I love that I say in love me Too," my book on overcoming sexual abuse, that in the darkness secrets, you know, grow. And, you know, it, and if we, if we're brave enough to cast a light into those dark areas of our society, into suicide, into sexual abuse, into trafficking, into labor traffic, you know, um, you know, if we're, there's so many dark places. And I heard this said after, and I wish I could have gotten in my book. Um, but it said very few people have the courage to look into the light. And it's like, it's true. You know, we don't look directly at the sun. Like we're told not to do that. It's easier to look into the shadows because it doesn't hurt our eyes. And it doesn't make us uncomfortable. We don't have to be worried what other people say, right? Right. We could live in, you know, Gotham City where everything sucks and it's overcast all the time, you know? And right? Like, you know, this whole like, uh, this everything's bad. It's always going to feel this way. And, but if we have the courage to say, I'm willing to have tough conversations, I'm willing to have my kid go, I know, mom. Right. But, the thing is, if anything ever happens, there's a comfort in knowing we tried. And I know that you did that for Christian. You did the professional things. You did the conversations with him. You thought you had done the things you needed, you know? I thought I had done what, what needed to be done. And yet I look back and I, I did not realize that suicide was the number one killer of youth in Utah. It's like the number... Uh, number two nationwide it's just like it's huge you know it's it's not accidents it's not things that happen it's by their own hand right and and that that's a hard thing and so I thought you know here I thought I was this great parent doing everything I could and yet I missed a key piece I I never talked to my kids really my father died by suicide so we talked a little bit about that situation I was leaving that for the book oh sorry sorry I didn't tell you I didn't like I didn't uh, tell them now don't tell them this part okay y'all know but you still have to go get the book okay um yeah but that it's an I'm sorry I messed up your strain your <laughs> your stream of thoughts there. Um, you know, I'm just saying that I, I look at it now and I think oh, I, I could have done so much more. And um, one thing that as a parent, um, I don't want to have any regrets anymore in the future. And so um, I, what would have maybe triggered me and, and gotten me all upset and angry over certain things that my kids might do, I just don't allow the anger. It's just not part of me anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just approach parenting as, as a, as from a love perspective, how can I help you? How I'm here to be your advocate, to guide you. I'm not here to condemn you or to judge you. I, I'm here to help you. Yeah. And, and you know, what I love about that is, you know, I always hear from parenting experts, how to remove the anger, to remove the emotion. And good luck. So <laughs> I give myself a timeout. I'm like, you know, time out, <laughs> you know? Um, but if we, if we kind of entertain this idea, you know, you and I are both, you know, believers and we both have a child in heaven and we both had experiences where our child's impacted our life. And, you know, some people have told me, well, you know, you're just imagining that to deal with your grief. And I'm like, you know, that's interesting <laughs> because it's not necessarily comforting to know they're bossing you. 
it would be much more comfortable to feel like she's just up there playing a harp and you know and this perpetual playing a piece but to know that she's in the nitty-gritty of my life watching me when i cry in my closet is not necessarily comforting but it is right? <laughs> yeah it's like you know when i had somebody one time try to get me to compromise something professionally you know to be dishonest and i'm not sure if i handled this correctly but they're really pushing me and i turned to them with this emotional response of how dare you and they were like what and i was like where are your kids right now where where are your kids? And they were like uh, at home. And I was like, yeah, I have two that are home, but I have one that is here probably in this room watching this. How dare you try to get me to look like I'm not a person of integrity in front of my child. You know, I mean, I was just like, <laughs> and they were just like, okay, we're crazy lady. lady. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were just like, it's just, I'm just trying to help you make you know, thousands more dollars, but just compromising a little bit here, like whatever. It's not even, it's, it's just what you do in business, you know? And I respond with this, <laughs> you know, um, it, you know, it's not a comforting thought to think that they are there hurting with us, worrying with us, you know? Um, so that's, that's kind of, and bust my chops at two different times. Like, just call me out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, so I'm just kind of busting that myth, you know, that it's not like I, it would be much more comforting just to think she was just playing a harp, you know, and was away and removed from all of the hurt of this world. Um, but here's, here's the thing for those listening with, with Christian coming to you, this is such a powerful lesson, letting you know that he was, you know, in heaven and his eternal progression was still happening that when we choose to die by suicide, it's not the end. It's not the end. We're and, not escaping anything. And I look you know? at people who, who have died by suicide, my father and my son being, you know, two people, obviously very close. I give them grace because they are not in their right minds. You know, they've overcome that, that natural barrier that we have to self-preservation. Mm -hmm. And if they have gotten to the point where they are going to end their lives, they, they are not in their right minds. And we just need to give them grace and uh, allow them, let God take care of that. I'm not in charge. You know, when you talked about writing your book and you said that you had help, mm -hmm. there's a story I love about this woman who um, died briefly and she is given the opportunity to go and see those she loves. And to like say goodbye. And so she sees her sister at her apartment and, you know, she goes to go see her mom, but when she was visiting her sister to just say goodbye, have you heard this? No, I don't think so. Okay. And again, this was not my experience. So if I'm warping it, someone's like, as kind of like that story. But anyway, the, the scene is she's getting to see her sister to say goodbye. And her sister is stressed out of her mind, working on her um, master's or her doctorate or something. And she's stressed but yet around her is, you know, what this woman for her belief system called a muse, you know, you and I would probably call that an angel or, you know, you would be like Christian. I would be like Caitlin. Right. And so later this woman comes back, obviously, cause she told her story and she's telling her family, like, I got to say goodbye to you. And you know, I saw you mom with dad or, you know, all these different things. And she's telling her sister, you know, how did your, your paper go? And she's like, what are you, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, I saw you, you were working on, you know, your, your paper. Did, did you get it done? And she's like, how do you know? You know? And she's like, well, I saw you and, you know, this muse helping you write it. And the sister breaks down, you know, in tears, obviously it's a very emotional and was like, I'd gotten to the point where I was just so frustrated. And this thought came to my mind and it just flowed. And I know what kind of writer I was before Caitlin. I know what kind of speaker I was before Caitlin. And not that I was speaking professionally, but, you know, um, in our particular church, we are given the opportunity if we want it or not to speak in front of people, um, you know, from when we were little kids. And, um, people always ask me why there's so many speakers out of Utah. And I'm like, well, 
because it's probably about 60% Mormon, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and we, at three, we start speaking. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they're putting up us in front of all of our peers, and that's just how it is. So, and, and we look at this, and it's beautiful and wonderful to think about those that we love and have loved, you know, that maybe we don't know as well, like, you know, our great grandma or something. Hopefully not my great grandma. She was kind of mean, but I'm sure she's nicer now, (laughs) but, you know, loving on us, the converse is true as well, right? That there's, I think if there are muses that push us for our good, that there are muses of he who is poopy that also pushes for our ill. I'll tell a story about that just two weeks ago. And I think I, I posted this on Facebook, so you might've seen it. Um, I was, I was going to a meeting. I was running late because I was stuck in construction and I was so frustrated. You know, you get frustrated and then your mind starts to spiral. And right, so right. this is where my mind was. You're late. You're not going to make your meeting. And then it's like, you're no good. Oh, and by the way, not only are you late for your meeting, but you're late in life. You're not getting enough done. You should just stop because doing what you're doing, because you're not going to help anybody. That, that- I think this is so important that people understand this as a type A who's a high achiever and killing it at life prior to doing all the good you're doing now. So let's just, let's just paraphrase that with that. <laughs> oh, there's two things. First of all, whenever those thoughts come to me, I try to catch them and I turn them around because obviously that's Satan. And, and if he's telling me in my head, I can't do anything then. Oh, obviously, you know, I'm going to make a difference, right? You're afraid so, of me. Yeah. But right then I was kind of in the spiral spiraling down. And right then I saw this young man on the corner. We stopped at a light young man, probably, early to mid twenties. So close ish to where my son's age would be right now. He, he wasn't even standing. He was just hunched over. It was kind of cold. So he was all hunched over with his head down and he had his sign and I couldn't even read his sign. Just a couple words. And two phrases were I'm hungry. And another phrase was, I'm so sorry. And my heart melted. You know, I just melted. And, and because I was thinking of my son, I had so much compassion for this young man. And I'm looking around in my car for some food or something, because I I don't always like to give out cash, but there was nothing. And normally I have, you know, my food stuffs everywhere. (laughs) There was nothing. (laughs) Um, So I, I, I pulled out some money and I called him over and I, once again, I, it was just different from any kind of connection I'd had before was somebody standing there asking for money. And I said, what's your name? I looked in his eyes and I could barely talk. I was so touched. What's your name? And he said, I'm Alex, ma'am. And I said, Alex, and I, I'm, I'm barely holding it together. <laughs> I said, Alex. And I wanted to say, God sees you, but you know, I didn't want to scare him to death. I said, I want you to get some food. Will you do that for me? And he said, yes. And I gave him some money enough to get a good, a good dinner. And I went away thinking I'm not late. I was exactly where I needed to be. Oh, I love this so much because if you had given into that feeling of, you know, I've got to do something, I've got to hurry. I got to, you wouldn't, you would have missed giving Alex what he needed someone to look him in the eye and express love to him. Even if you didn't say, I love you. Cause it's kind of creepy. Um, but, you I, I know. felt, I felt God's love for him. And I just thought if God can love this young man, who's, who's admittedly per his sign made some poor choices and can show how much he loves this young man and show that love to me that he loved him. How much does he love every single one of us? And I just melted yeah. Well, this um, podcast started because, you know, I'm the overly friendly, loud lady, you know, and uh, <laughs> she just laughs. Um, and I uh, was in Hobby Lobby one day because I, well, anyway, I just, everywhere I go, I have this thing about seeing people, you know, just, hey, nice hair. Oh, I love your purse. You know, oh, you know, when the kid's screaming, I turn to the mom and I'm like, it gets better. <laughs> you know, I just... <laughs> 
<laughs> I've just lost my filter for compliments, you know, and sometimes they don't land well. And then I am very quick to say, I apologize. It's just, just love people, you know, and it's one out of a thousand that doesn't land well, but it's worth doing the other nine, 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 you know? And anyway, um, sometimes I have these amazing interactions with people and I hear their stories and they tell me stuff. And that's why I'm like, man, I, I, I should do videos about these people. And then, and then that led to my media company pressuring me into doing this podcast. So, but one day I was in Hobby Lobby and this lady said, um, do you remember me? Now I know if we had sat and held hands in Hobby Lobby um, and as I have done in various different weird locations, you know, cried with people, talked to people, laughed with people. I probably would have remembered her face, hopefully. And I said, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't, I need a lot of people. And then that's like outside of my job, you know, I was like, and she's like, oh, and I said, well, with my job, I need a lot of people. She's like, oh, I don't know what you do. I met you here. And I was like, oh, okay, perfect. You know, because when you speak, you know, you're looking at a thousand people and, you know, they remember you. And she said, and she started crying. So I touched her arm because that's what you, you know, you can do when, when people are crying and you don't know why, instead of being like, Oh wait, it just got emotional. And I touched her arm and I was like, what's, you know, what are you feeling or something like that? And she said, you saw, you talked to me here and I had come to Hobby Lobby to grab by stationery for my note, my final note. And because you talked to me, and she just cried and we fell into each other's arms and it was like, you know, because you saw me, it was just this beautiful moment that I just thought, what if every single person I'm talking to could have that impact? And it wouldn't have been like a sin or an omission, or it's my fault when I get to heaven that I didn't say hi to that lady at Hobby Lobby. But if we just get beyond ourselves and our pain and our prejudices, it lifts us. And it can maybe be that switch for someone else. Maybe, and maybe not, but it, hey, why not try in our sphere? Why not? Right. I say, if you have changed one person's life, you've changed the world. Yeah. Change the world. Well, I can give you two names that changed mine, you know, and um, Christian has made an impact in our home. And I know he's made an impact in others. And I love, you know, as we call it in Christian terms, the witness, right? Um, that he is, he is bossy and willing to call his mom to task, just like he did when he was here. He had no problem critiquing your skiing and showing you how it was your water skiing and showing how it was done. And he was the best of all of us. <laughs> yes. Yes. And he would tell you, he, oh, yeah. he was always right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so annoying when they are, <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, um, but you know, the, the capacity to love and, um, I love knowing that, that Christian and all of those that have died in ways that, you know, poopy muses pushed them to is how I'd look at it, that they are in a good place. And we, um, we hear, we all have our path that we have to walk and it's a hard life, but there's beautiful moments too, you know? So my friend, I could talk to you forever if you would let me. <laughs> we got things to do. <laughs> yeah, we got to get done. No, um, is there any, any thoughts that you want to share with the listeners? You know, I was listening to this song by um, the group Gentry and I don't remember the name of it, but it's a song about... Um, a father having an argument, you know, that the video at least was about a father having an argument with his son and the son leaving and the son struggling and eventually coming back. So sort of the prodigal son story. Mm -hmm. And I watched that video on Sunday and I just broke down. And my thought was, as I think about my son, I would do anything for my son. And three years ago, I don't know that I would have said that. <laughs> you know, we literally, our relationship was so difficult every day. It was difficult for me. And yet he has taught me so much about love and striving to be a better person and to, to have grace for other people. And one day we'll get to hug each other 
and I'm going to tell him thank you for all that he's done for me. We're here to help each other grow and become better. And the, I believe you said something to this effect in your book that how love is the solution to it all. Yes, that's the solution. That's love really is the answer. And how many times do we have to hear that? You know, there's the Beatles song and I mean, there's like so many, right? That it, it really just is, but yet it's such a complicated emotion and hard to hold on to, but it's, it's worth, it's worth holding ourselves to that standard every day. So my friend you made me cry more than once. And just like I promised there was laughter because I knew because there always is with us. Um, <laughs> and look, you're crying too. See, yes. it's not just me that's the boob. Um, so thank you, Lark, for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness. The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.